Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today is week six in the Sermon on the Mount. Today I want to talk to you about acts of righteousness from Matthew chapter six. But before I do, um, if you've got Matthew chapter six, Open your Bible there. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6 today, but we're going to jump around to a few different places. I would like to look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. I'd like to read that to you. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. God really wants us to grow up. He really wants us to grow to maturity. There, there are, you know, we all start with the basics. My, my kids are, are young. My, my son is in kindergarten. He starts kindergarten this year. And my daughter is in second grade. And we're doing the homeschool thing. And so we're about two weeks into it. And I've not pulled out all my hair yet. <laughs> I've still got some. But... Uh, um, you know, sometimes it's funny to me, Abigail, uh, my older daughter, she's in second grade, like I said, and she, she sometimes, she tells me, Dad, I want to go back to kindergarten. Because <laughs> kindergarten was fun. <laughs> I'm like, well, but you can't go back to kindergarten. Why? Because the things, you, what do you learn in kindergarten? Your ABCs, your one, two, threes, your colors, you know. And, and you've learned those things, Abigail, because those are the foundations. You're going to take that and knowing those fundamental things, you're going to use those to build real knowledge into your life, real maturity. You're going to learn how to add, you know, double-digit numbers now. That's what we're doing. We were doing this week, adding double-digit numbers. That's a little different than counting one, two, three, isn't it? You know, and then I'm, then I'm teaching her the, the English language, which, man, alive, we've got some crazy rules <laughs> in the English language, do we not? We were at a music class, and they were, they were trying to teach us Italian pronunciation. And, uh, you know, it's a lot easier than English. <laughs> we, we have so many rules and exceptions and silent E's and diphthongs and all those different things. So I'm trying to teach her, but, but it's a little different learning that than it is. I mean, she's writing sentences now. She has to answer questions with full sentences. That's a little different than learning your, your ABCs, isn't it? Because there's progression. God wants us to have progression in our life, you know? I remember when I learned my ABCs. Do you guys remember when you learned your ABCs? No, I actually remember, I don't know when I learned them, but I actually was thinking back about it. And I remember a time when I was at my grandma's house, which was, I don't want to tell you how many years ago it must have been, but I'm pretty sure I was even preschool age and I could sing the alphabet song, you know? Does anybody know the alphabet song? You want to sing it with me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll spare you. But I mean, that's how a lot of us learned them, right? So I'm sure when I went to kindergarten back then, I was pretty advanced. <laughs> I went in there already knowing my ABCs, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I'm telling, thank you. But you know, when I, years later, 15 years later, when I'm in college and I'm supposed to write an essay on something, could you imagine if I would stand up and ask, excuse me, could I please just sing the ABC song? <laughs> I'd be a little bit out of place, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why? Because we expect growth, we expect maturity, you know? And a lot of Christians, you know, we're still singing the same ABC song, 
We're still dealing with the same hang-ups. We're still dealing with the same habits. We've not progressed beyond the basics. And that's not God's heart for us. God's heart is, is the heart of any good parent to see his children grow into maturity. He wants us to grow into full sonship, if you will. Today we have to say sonship and daughtership, but the way it used to mean sonship meant full benefits as children of God, right? Sons and daughters of God. It's what he wants for us. And and sometimes we keep on laying the same foundations over and over and over. And he says we need to let go. Here's one that he says we need to let go of. We need to uh, quit laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Repentance from dead works. What is a dead work? I was thinking about that. It's very simple, really. A dead work is a work, a thing that you do that does not bring life and does not lead to life. Pretty simple, isn't it? If it doesn't bring you life, if it doesn't lead to life, it's a dead work. It doesn't benefit a lot. You know, these would include evil deeds that people do toward one another. Thank God I'm talking about nobody here on this, I, I pray. No, but people do evil things, revenge, retaliation, hate, racism, factions, division, unholy anger. These are things that men out there in the world are doing toward one another. That's dead. It starts in death and it ends in death. It's a dead work. Um, another dead work would include working for your own self-interest at another's expense. I mean, nobody faults the person for working for your own self-interest. I mean, that's what motivates us to be better, right? That's what motivates us to get that education, to, to exercise, to be healthy, to, to discipline ourselves. We're working for our own self-interest. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we do it at the expense of another's, okay, it's a dead work. This would include lying, cheating, stealing, and dishonest gain. These are dead works. Other dead works would include pagan practices rooted in superstition and the worship of false deities. You know, harsh treatment of the body, you know, different rituals that you would have to go to to worship false deities. These are dead works. Why? Because they don't take you to a place of life. They don't bring you life and they don't take you to life. And another dead work that, that is especially in the context of the book of Hebrews, is the Jewish temple rituals. The Jewish temple, temple rituals. That would be circumcision, legalism, the temple worship, the sacrifices. Paul is saying, or the writer of Hebrews rather, is saying, we need to leave behind this idea of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and go on to maturity. But this is something that should be established in our life that we can build on. You know, here's the thing. Why is, why is, what I'm saying today is to repent from these dead works. Because when we look at the life of Jesus and we read the Sermon on the Mount, which is what I'm speaking about today, it's very easy to look at it as if Jesus were bringing a new legalism, you know? It's like, you thought that Old Testament law was bad. No, it wasn't that good. Let me show you the Sermon on the Mount here. <laughs> and now you got to live up to that in the new, you know. And, and we just have a tendency, I think, as humans, we have a tendency to, um, to always want to know what are the rules, right? What do I have to do? What are the rules? 
You know, you could have a, a, it's not always that people are trying to impose the rules on us. Sometimes our own nature and the way we think says, okay, so what do I have to do? What's the minimum I have to do to get by? So I can check the box and say, I kept the law. I was watching um, Abigail teach Benjamin. Uh, sometimes she can teach him things better than I can. I, I'm serious. They think alike. It's amazing. And so he had this one page where he had to fill it with C's. Chris, he couldn't get it with me. She's like, just do this. So he fills the whole page with C's, the letter C. It was great. And then it had three words like, you know, cake, cookie, and something else that started with C underneath. But the first letter was missing. And what you're supposed to do is teach him that this is the C sound. It goes on these words, right? So what does she do? She teaches him for me. She says, Benjamin, all you have to do is just write C in those three blanks. <laughs> See, we just want to know, what do I have to do so I can check the box, I'm done. But did he learn anything? No, he didn't learn anything. But why, why are we like that? It's just our, it's our nature. What, okay, what do I have to do, Jesus? Okay, no, that's too much information. Just tell me where, where, what I need to do so I can check the box. And he says, we've got to get rid of that mindset. We've got to leave this idea of repentance from dead works behind and go on into maturity. You know, by the time the Jews, um, by the time... The Jews, uh, that Jesus came and was speaking to the Jewish people, uh, the commandments, which were from God, which were good, which were meant to be a, a, a foreshadow of what he was going to do. They should have understood the new birth. He said, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things. They should have understood a lot more than they did. But by the time Jesus came along, they had twisted the word of God so far that Judaism was basically just a man-made religion filled with traditions and rules that were man-made rules. Right? But don't think that that spirit cannot work in the church today. Right? What Jesus came to do to bring us life, to connect you to God, to give you a tangible connection to God, don't think that we can't in our nature, our human nature, and our traditional thinking, reduce that just to a bunch of rules and regulations. All right, God, I worshiped. I read my scripture for the day. I went to church on Sunday. I checked the boxes. I must be okay with you. <laughs> Come on, there's so much more for it than that. There's a growing to maturity. There's a growing into maturity. So the idea I want to... The idea I'm trying to convey here, what I'm trying to get across is that there is a reality in the Christian life that's more than anything that we've even experienced before. God's willing. It goes way beyond religion. It goes way beyond tradition. A hundred years ago, uh, the missionary John Lake used the word tangibility. You know, it was a time... Uh, in the early 1900s, they were discovering all kinds of things, electricity and different things. And it was a time of great scientific advancement. And he, he, uh, he was a Christian and missionary. He had the power of God working. He, they were seeing miracles all over the place. And he would approach so much of it from a scientific perspective. So I'll tell you what, God doesn't want us just to go empty-headed and you know, check our brains at the door when we come in here. You know, if, if, if our intellect would hold us from the things of God, you know, then sure, we need, to, we need to go beyond that. But the truth of the matter is there are things in God that are predictable, that are repeatable. He's a very predictable person. When, when we sing things like, uh, uh, there was an old song which was 
the quote when I remember growing up is God works in mysterious ways. And, you know, they, they are mysterious to the world. But the longer you walk with him and the more you know him and the more you see that he will do what he says he will do, his ways somehow become less and less mysterious. This is what it means to grow up to maturity. You know, you start off and, uh, and uh, you know, double-digit addition is pretty mysterious to you. But just wait till you start having to do subtraction with borrowing. It's going to get worse. <laughs> but you stay on it and you stay with it and these things become second nature to you. And uh, our walk with God is supposed to be such that we can know him. We can know his, you know, what does it say in Romans 12 too? That you be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is his will. It, we're not, it's not supposed to be a mystery to us all the time to, to know what God wants for our lives. We're supposed to know his will and walk in his will. Yes. And there's a growing to maturity that will allow us to do that. Um. So John Lake would speak of this idea called the tangibility of the spirit. Tangibility. What does that mean? Tangibility. Something that is tangible is something that is perceivable by touch. Perceivable by touch. Isn't that even the basis of all science? Something you can perceive in some way, right? So it's something that's perceivable by touch. In other words, he's talking about the reality, the realness of the things of God. There's something real about God. So why should I repent from dead works? Because Jesus did not come to give us a new legalism. Nobody can know God through the law. Nobody can know Jesus or be connected to God through the legalist. legalism. Look at Galatians 3.21. Paul says, Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that if, if, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed have come by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, listen to this, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to who? To those who believe. It doesn't come through law-keeping. If it would have, he could have done it that way. But it's just not how it works. It just it works this way. You believe. And he gives you his life. He gives you his spirit. See, he actually came to, to uh, do away with legalism by giving you a heart that can actually know him and hear him and feel him and respond to him. A new heart. Look at the Colossians, or 2 Corinthians, rather. Oh, yeah, this is, I love this verse. 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. I quote this verse all the time to myself. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. I quote that to myself all the time. Because when I stand here in front of you guys, and I know y'all are smart, because y'all are, <laughs> you're students. Some of y'all are students, and you, you go after these things of God. It's like, what do I have? How am I sufficient? Well, my sufficiency is not of God. If I can do it right, and I can just facilitate the Spirit of God and what He wants to do, boy, we can have church, man. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I, I, I remind myself, my sufficiency is not of myself. It's not of my hours of what I've learned and things. My sufficiency is of God because why? He's made us to be sufficient ministers of a new covenant. But listen to this last phrase. This is what I want to get to. Of a new covenant, not, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Not of the letter, not the written legalistic things you have to do, but of the spirit of God, the life that comes through the spirit of God. And why? Listen to the last phrase. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
a letter kills. Man, we are not supposed to be ministers of death. <laughs> We're not. Jesus came to bring us the Spirit. He didn't come to bring us Judaism 2.0. He wasn't just trying to, re trying to redo it. What he offers us through the Spirit is so radically new, so radically different, that at that time, nobody had seen it before. Isaiah talked about it. He predicted it 700 years before Jesus came. He says, remember, uh, Isaiah 43, verse 18, if you're taking notes, it'll be up here on the screens. Remember the former things, nor consider the things of, remember not the former things. In other words, forget what you've seen before, all right? Don't remember the old things. Uh, don't consider the things of old. Verse 19, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It will make a way, I will make a way in the wilderness and what? Rivers in the desert. But he's saying, don't, don't even think about the way it used to be. I'm doing something new. Can't you see it? He expected them to see it. Well, they didn't. And so they doubled down on their legalism. And that's the context that we find Jesus speaking to these Jewish people in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> but what does he want to do? He wants to bring a new thing. And sometimes if we're going to go forward with God, what we've got to do is, for, is, is not just learn something new, it's to forget something old. Wow. Sometimes we've got to forget the way we've done it. Okay, I've tried it, Lord, a hundred times and it didn't work. Okay, can you forget it? Do you need to receive something from God today? Do you need a, a healing? Do you need uh, help? And, and you've gone to him a thousand times and you've not received yet or, or you've not seen him work. Can you just forget it? Can you forget it for a moment? Just enough to look to him and let him be God. Forget the former things, let them go. I'm doing a new thing. And Jesus is that way in the desert. He is that new thing. This is what Jesus came to do. You know, we talk about the new birth, right? The new creation. Do you know what the new creation means in the Greek? It means a new kind that never existed before. Unprecedented. Never heard of before. That's what that word new means. Never seen before. Jesus is doing a new thing. Praise God. What was that old, uh, come on, Tom, help me, old song. Uh, to, to, was it Toby Mac? God is doing a new thing. Okay, I'm dating myself. Don't, don't even worry about it. Okay, but, uh, but he's doing a new thing. But the new thing is what began with Jesus. That's the new thing we're talking about. And we've not even experienced the fullness of what that new thing is in our life yet. Come on, there's a lot of more new thing that I can experience that I've not experienced yet. And you know, that's why the world really can't know you if you're a true Christian. If you're a Christian and you're walking with God, the world can't know you. It can't understand you. Because it's never seen anything like you before. <laughs> Except Jesus. <laughs> you're really that unique. That's, 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 that's ministering to somebody over here. And I think that's good. <laughs> you're special. Look at, look at 1 John 3.1. First uh, John 3, 1, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, the children of God, and so we are. Listen, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Well, if you're a child of God and you're like your father and they didn't know him, they can't know you. And a lot of us were going to the world for advice and for help and for, you know, for our answers and the world doesn't have them. 
I mean, the most the world can do is tell you, you know, well, I don't even want to tell you what they're telling. Crazy things. Like, are you sure of what gender you are? You know, it, it, they're messed up. They, they, can't, they can't know you. They don't know your purpose. They don't know the plan of God. They don't, know, they don't know Him, and so they can't know you. And so we've got to walk closely with God. You know, when you um, buy a classic car, um, I had a friend who, who was, um, he, he, when I knew him, he had sold his 1982 Corvette, and he bought a 1969 Camaro. I like this guy. Jackie, you'd like him too. <laughs> And he painted that Camaro red as can be with big white stripes. <clears throat> but you know, when you go buy a classic car, if somebody's repainted it or whatever, what do you do? You take a magnet around that thing and you and you feel, because why? If, if you have an old car and there's rust spots and dents, they take a plastic body filler called Bondo, you know, and they fill that up and they sand it smooth and they paint over it. And it looks really good, right? But if you didn't take care of that rust problem, it's eventually going to work its way back to the surface. So you're trying to feel with that magnet to see where it sticks because you want to know how much metal, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, because you want to know how much metal is there and how much plastic is there, right? But it's the same thing in a house. You know, a, hey, a little bit of sheetrock and a coat of paint can cover a lot of stuff. <laughs> it can cover mold problems, mildew, leak, foundation problems, rot, you know what I mean? So sometimes when you want to go and uh, uh, inspect a house, you might have to do a little camera thing or cut off a wall and look and see what's going on because, you know, you would really rather, if you're going to remodel, do the work yourself rather than pick up something that somebody else grabbed and flipped because these things can just cover the problems. Jesus didn't come to cover our problems. He came to rework us, to make us something new, something that you've never even seen before. But you know, one of the practical problems, and listen to me very carefully, one of the practical problems that you and I face walking this life, wanting to experience more and more of God, is that there are not a lot of people in our world, in our life, that are actually doing this. There's not. There are not a lot of people who we can look to and say, wow, you see that man, he's walking in the power of God like Jesus. There's not a lot of people. So what do we do? We need to stay close to God and we need to meet together and encourage one another on to good works, to be something that we've not been yet, to experience something that we've not experienced yet, right? Because God wants to do more than what we've seen. but I believe that he'll do it through us. Amen? So let's get to the Sermon on the Mount here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. So we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts off with, in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. This verse, this verse, speaks volumes. First of all, think about it. It's an invitation to experience the real, tangible things of the Spirit of God. Okay, I'll tell you why in a minute. It's an invitation to live the life of faith. It offers an opportunity to grow and to mature in God. And it's the, it actually offers you freedom from people's opinions and attitudes towards you. It's freedom. See, because if what I had been saying up to this point in the introduction were not true, then none of this would really matter. 
The best that we could hope for would be when we go and do our religious practices, the best we could hope for is that somebody sees us doing them and gives us some praise and glory. Because if God is not real, then none of it matters. You see what I'm saying? But the fact that Jesus can stand here and say this, no, if, if you practice to be seen by men, there's your reward, okay? But if you will do it secretly, God is real, right? There is life to be had. There's a reward from the Father. That's what he's saying. This is an invitation to experience this real kind of life because God is real. He can be known. He can be experienced. A relationship can truly be developed with him. Hebrews 11:6 you may remember this I quote it all the time it says without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him look if you don't believe he exists and and that there are true blessings and benefits from him for seeking him why would you ever seek him right but the very fact that Jesus said you can seek him and you can do it secretly it's a check of your motives you do it secretly, you really believe this stuff. You do it publicly only. Do you believe it? Do you not? You're just trying to fit in a group, right? That's what it comes down to. That's what he's saying. Let's look at the whole passage. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 from Matthew chapter 6, and then I'm going to skip down and I'm going to read 16 through 18. I'm going to skip over the Lord's Prayer just because um, I may deal with that in another week. This is quite a large passage, but read it with me in your Bible. Verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, so this is giving, this is the giving of alms is what they used to call it, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But what? But when you give to the needy, don't let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the play actors, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then skip down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. These three activities, the almsgiving, the praying and the fasting, were the three primary acts of righteousness that the Jews practiced. And that's why Jesus is just addressing them right here, head on. <laughs> He's confronting them because they're going through these motions, but yet their hearts are not, they're so far from God, they don't even know him. You know, they could have been like Cornelius. Do you remember Cornelius from the book of Acts? Cornelius was a non-Jewish person, but he worshiped God right? Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. This is what it says about Cornelius. <clears throat> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. See, he gave alms. He prayed continually. Doesn't say it, but he maybe fasted. You know, if he, if he adopted the Jewish traditions of worship, he probably fasted. But what was it about this man? He was doing it right. See, God didn't say, don't do these things. He said, check your motives. And here's a man named Cornelius who was doing it, and he was doing it right. And the Jewish leadership should have been at least as good as the non-Jewish, you know, Roman centurion, but they weren't. But the Roman got it, and the Jews didn't. Wow, wow huh? Yeah. So was he rewarded? What was his reward? Anybody know? First, he has this angelic visitation, right? Angel comes, he gives them specific uh, instructions, tells them to go find Peter, where Peter happened to be staying at the time. At the same time, God gives a vision to Peter, telling him it was okay to go into this Gentile's house, right? While the people show up to get Peter, the voice of God says, Peter, they're at the door, go with them. I mean, we're talking miracle after miracle after miracle. Peter goes to their house, they start preaching, and the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes every one of them. And they have, his whole household gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. What a reward, huh? So he's not saying don't do these things. What's your motive? What's your heart? Here's a non-Jewish person who got it. And why did Jesus look around and he said, man, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're pushing the way into the kingdom faster than you guys. Come on, we, we cannot be like the Pharisees. We have got to check our motives and we've got to be pure in our hearts. If it were not true that God would reward those who seek him, then the only reward you will have is to be seen by men. The only reason to pray, you know, especially pray. Okay, we know fasting because of all the study. Now fasting is actually good for your health, right? So it would be some benefit to fast secretly, right? You know, and giving ultimately helps the people you're giving to, right? You know, but, but uh, if, if God didn't reward you, if God didn't bless you, if God didn't respond to you or answer you or, 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 or deepen your relationship with him through these practices, there would be no benefit to doing them secretly. But if there's a benefit to doing them secretly, then it's real, it's tangible, and it's by the spirit of God. And there was a time in my life when I, I lived in the Sermon on the Mount. I have no idea why. I was at this time in my life. I must have read it every single day for probably a month or more. Sermon on the Mount. And I remember it too because I was invited around that time to go audit a, a Bible class that was uh, taught by a bunch of missionaries who were from all over the world. And I remember sitting there and this one man, I wish I remembered where he was from, but he was challenging us. He's saying, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, commanding them to do the things, to observe the things I've commanded you. And he said, you guys don't even know what Jesus commanded. He says, can you even list the 15 things on the Sermon on the Mount? And I sat there and whipped out a piece of paper and I just wrote down one, two, three. I just wrote them all down. I knew them. I was just so into it. I was so happy. I was so proud. I wanted to tell somebody. <laughs> There's nobody to tell, so I'm telling you. So, <laughs> but uh, but it was a challenge. I was I was living. So I started looking around my world. I was working in ministry. I was doing outreach ministry to inner city, and I started looking around my world and and uh, just observing. You know, just watching, just watching people. You know. <clears throat> And uh, I remember our church, um, there was something that happened, and I thought it was a hurricane, but it maybe it was just some tornadoes or something, but it made, it made national news. It was pretty, pretty big. 
And uh, our local radio station in our town where we were, where they were raising money by businesses and, you know, they were challenging one another to, to give more. And so our church had, had some money and uh, they went ahead and uh, gave a, a large gift, bigger than anything they were talking about on the radio. And after they gave it, they, they said, uh, man, we need to call the news and go ahead and tell them we gave this. <laughs> I'm thinking if... I'm reading Sermon on the Mount, right? Okay, I'm thinking if that is not blowing your own horn or blow, announcing your giving with a trumpet, what in the world is? But they did. They called, the, they called them on the, uh, on the um, radio and they announced that we gave such and such, blah, 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 blah. Only for us the next day to be totally outdone by the local fire department who went out with their boots on the intersections and just blew our donation out of the water. <laughs> I mean, so like... Well, there was your reward, second place to the fire department. Okay. But you know, come on, these are these are these things real or not? Are they real or not? I, I would go to work um, uh, at, at the church that time. I do outreach ministry on Saturday, which would be bring me back to the church very late Saturday nights sometimes. And I'd be there working, um, working to get ready for a Sunday morning. And so I'm there, and, and, and there's a man, and sometimes he'd bring a friend. And, I, you know, I don't know if he ever prayed at home or not, but he came to church to pray. Came to church to pray. And do you know where he prayed? Right in the middle of the lobby where I was working. He'd be on his face saying and crying out to God. And I don't want to make fun of it, but, but I'm working here. I'm walking around him, and he's praying there for the, for the service. I'm like... Man, you could have stayed home and done this, you know. And I, I, man, it's just—I I feel bad for him because it was just me who saw him, and it wasn't much of a reward because I saw right through him, you know. But the man wasn't really living for God; he wasn't. His life didn't line up with these actions. And so, what is it? Are, you know, there are people who will only come and act a certain way when they're around people, but their heart is not walking with God on a regular, with any regularity. Right? Praying. If we won't pray in secret, I mean, there are times for public prayers, but if we won't pray in secret, how do we have the authority to stand and pray publicly? Think about it. I don't even get me started on fasting. Should I even go there? Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, then I'll ask my sister. Y'all need to escort her out. <laughs> In the Bible, most of the fasting was either mourning, repentance, or humbling yourself before God and asking direction or favor. The Bible really doesn't teach fasting as a means to spiritual power. The Bible says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Bible says that he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Peter says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. So nowhere is fasting suggested in the scriptures, in the New Testament, as a means to receive the Spirit's power. It's just not. But fasting is good. There is a reward for fasting for those who fast with proper motives. I'm not against fasting. I've done it. Now, I'll do it in the future for sure. But let me tell you what fasting will do if you do it biblically. Fasting will allow you to quiet your voice of your flesh and submit your will to his will. Fasting will help you to crucify the flesh, 
to die to yourself so that the spirit which he freely gives you can express himself through you more fully. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what fasting will do. And done properly and done in secret, you will be rewarded. So when you fast, don't go around talking to everybody about how hungry you are. (laughs) When you fast, don't go around telling everybody you have a headache because you can't take any aspirin because you don't have any food in your stomach because you're fasting. Okay? Okay. These are real conversations that I've heard. I'm not making any of this up. All right. When you fast, don't go around and just say, you know, if you boil down the cabbage and drink the juice, you're technically still fasting. (laughs) You're just working. It's legalism. Check. I fasted. It's not what fasting is. All right. So fasting is good. But these things uh, should lead us to examine our own motives when we pray and when we give and when we fast. See, if God is not real, then there is no reward for secret giving. Think about it. If, if the spirit is not tangible, then there is no reward for having private times of prayer. If God is not a rewarder of those who secret, then fasting would be useless, right? But he is real and he responds to you when you do these things from the right motive. So Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount that there is real kingdom power available to us to take the mission forward and to live this Christian life. And of course, it's not always possible to keep everything secret. I mean, it's the motive that we're talking about, right? You know, there's been times that I've had to give money through another person to get it where it needed to go. Somebody had to know about that, right? You know, uh, there's times to pray publicly. Jesus prayed publicly, right? Public prayers are in order. Um, for me, when I was, I remember one time I was trying to fast regularly and I had a problem. My problem was my mom could figure everything out. I didn't even live at home and she could figure it out. I'd be out at a job with my dad because we were, we were working in business together and we'd be on the way home. He'd call her on the phone and, and she'd be like, tell BJ to come over for supper. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've got, I've got something, to, something I need to do. What? Tell him it's his favorite roast beef. <laughs> Well, okay, great, but you know, I, I've got, I've got to, well, are you sick? <laughs> Is everything okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I just got something. Are you fasting? <laughs> I was. Okay, I'll be over. <laughs> just didn't work that good with her. But you know, there, there are people who are close to you who will know. It's not, it's not, it's not, okay, let's not make the secrecy of legalism too, right? You know what I mean? It's the heart. It's the motive of the heart. And that's what Jesus is looking at. Compare these, in closing, I want to compare these acts of righteousness with what the Bible calls good works just one chapter before in Matthew chapter 5. You know, see, good works are not supposed to be hidden. They're supposed to be on display for everybody to see. They're to be done openly. But these acts of righteousness are to be done in the secret place or in secret. Look at Matthew chapter 5, flip back one chapter, starting at verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Listen, it cannot be hidden. It's not that you try to, you know, you could try to keep it a secret, but a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's exposed. It's up there for everybody to see. And that's what you're called to be to the world. 
Uh, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. He's saying, let this one shine, put it where people can see it. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. So how can we know if what we are doing is a work of righteousness that should be in secret or a good work that should be done out in the open? And the answer is this. You can ask yourself this question, who gets the glory? Right? Because when they see your good works and they give God glory, that's one that needs to be in the open. If they see your good works and give you glory, just go ahead and take that into your secret place and practice that secretly. Pretty simple, huh? The good works that the Bible talks about, the good works, they're prepared for us to walk in, the Bible says. They bring glory to God. They cannot be hidden, and they are wrought in God. I want to very quickly go through these three verses, and then we'll get ready for communion in just a minute. So where's, where's my band? Are they anywhere close? Okay. You, tell you what, you can, as, as you guys come up, I'm going to go ahead and pull this over. If you guys want to grab your elements for communion so that you have them up there, that would be wonderful. And if you'd like to participate... Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are good works that God's prepared for us. John 3, verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's why we come into the light, so that the works that we do, people can see that they are carried out in God. And finally, I want to close with this one. John 15, verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you because why? My father gets glory when you bear fruit. My father gets glory when God gets glory when you get your prayers answered. That's what it says. When you ask in his name and and your prayers are answered, God gets glory. If what I said about, you know, the realness of the tangibility of the spirit and the real connection with God were not true, this would not be the case. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, guys, you don't need to go through the pretense of being religious because there is a real life that you can experience a real connection with God, where God, the creator of the universe, rewards you, where he is working in your circumstances, where he is working in your life. And that's what I want to invite you to today. As we take our communion today, as we receive it together, I want you to think of it as you are coming, you're receiving the bread, you're receiving the juice, and you are partaking of the very life of God that tangible life that he gave us, the spirit of God, the spirit of God himself that he sent to inhabit his church is wanting to express himself in your life. And when we take the elements and we receive the bread and we receive the the, the juice, which represents the blood, we're honoring his sacrifice that made this possible. Not only that, we we are entering into 
the covenant. Jesus said, a new covenant I give to you, right? It's a covenant. In other words, he gave everything, so we bring everything. When we hold the cup up, we're also saying, I offer you my lifeblood. I offer you my body because I'm in covenant joined together with you because of what you've done. I can, you know, come on. I bring what? I bring filthy rags. I know that, but I still offer them to Jesus. And he takes them and he makes me a new creation. He makes me something new. God gets glory when your prayers get answered. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take the body of the Lord, understand that it it says, this is my body broken for you. We're talking about his body that he gave for you, broken. He carried in his body all the evil, the punishment for sin in his body. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I've said it before. What does it mean to proclaim his death until he comes? We're proclaiming his death, what he did, right? Past tense makes me right with God, gives me a connection with God until he comes. We are looking to a time in the future when he returns, sets his feet down on this planet and makes everything right. We're living in this time in between where the kingdom of God is pushing in through the church, but it's not here in fullness yet. But as we take the cup and we eat the bread, we're proclaiming that this is where I stand. I stand as a citizen of heaven, as a son of God in this present age, anticipating something, yet also thanking God for something that's already completed. And see, in this time, we're experiencing all different degrees of it. But I'm telling you, there's so much that we can experience of God that we've not experienced yet. Amen. So I'm going to get out of the way here and I'm going to slide the the elements over. Thank you, Ed. And uh, yeah, let's just put it over here in the middle. There we go. And as as the band sings this song, if you just make your way up and uh, receive the elements and return to your seat, and then we'll all partake together.